When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. It was, of course, a large impacting famine. Now we we get the beginning of this story, because tonight we're really we got a lot of characters in the story tonight, a lot of moving parts, but God's personal in everyone's lives, so we're going to see him working personally in different people's lives. But we read in verse 4 that Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin. Now remember, there are 12 sons from four different women, and Benjamin is the full brother of Joseph from Rachel, who was the woman that Jacob loved and worked seven years to marry as if it was nothing Laban, his father-in-law, deceived him. He had to work another seven years because Laban gave him Leah. And from Leah, he had the first round of all those boys, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And then through the maidservants, more boys. But Rachel had Joseph, and then she died in childbirth having Benjamin. And these are the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob, of course, had a very special place for Joseph and Benjamin because he really, I mean, for a man that had four wives, if you will, it's the, the one he really loved that he wanted in the first place was Rachel. He loved her. And it's like when someone dies that you love and care about your parents or adult siblings or whatever, you look at children and say, you look just like your mother. You look just like your father. And you see that connection. And you can appreciate where Jacob's just like, he could see Rachel in Benjamin. And in his mind, he's, think, he's lost Joseph for 20 years. He's like, I can't, it's his worst fear. Let's establish that right now. His worst fear is to lose Benjamin. And, you know, parents get like that. When you lose a child or things go wrong, you can, when you've been betrayed, you find it hard to trust people. When the courts have done you wrong, you don't trust the judicial system. If you've been wronged by anything, like you, you lose trust and you lose faith. And this, these two chapters tonight are really about faith conquering over fear that God's on the throne. And we're going to see, as the Lord showed us Saturday night with a prophetic word, it's not, you know, what if, but it's what is. It's not what if the worst thing happens. It's, it's what is, is that what is, is who is on the throne, Jesus Christ. And he's the final authority. And he's got us. That's all that matters. That it's faith drives out fear like light drives out darkness. The cross is total victory, not partial victory, total victory. And this is all shadows of foreshadows of those things that are ours where all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus' name. But poor Jacob here is just, you know, he's afraid to let his son go to work. He's afraid to let his son go in the field. He's afraid to let his son date, the, date a woman or whatever. We don't even know, but we know how parents can be so protective and have all this fear when it, when it goes a certain way. And just because we've had heartache and disappointment and our hearts broken in life doesn't mean that we shouldn't have faith in God who reigns over all things because life guarantees you're going to have heartache and affliction and brokenness before you. How can anyone live 80 years and not get to the end of the journey and not see a whole generation of people you love step into eternity before you? If you reach 90, you've outlived all your friends. You've outlived your, grand, your parents, your grandparents, your spouse, your kids. I mean, that's just the way it works. So it's not about what if, it's about what is. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. 
And this is what Jacob needs to learn tonight. So we go forward. He just, you 10 go, but this kid, he stays with me because God forbid anything, some calamity happened to him. You learn early on as a parent, calamity can happen to anybody. And you can homeschool your kids, you can send them to Calvary, you can do all these things, but sooner or later they go to work and they get mistreated by their bosses, their co-workers, and society. And they get injustices. Doesn't matter your gender, ethnicity, or anything else. It's an unfair world, and no one can protect our children from that. But the best you can do is raise them up to have confidence in the Lord and trust that God has their back, that he's got a plan and a purpose. His promises are enough, and he'll protect them and keep them. We're not pampering our kids. We're preparing them to get from here to eternity in Jesus' name. Verse 6, now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And those, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. He's saying this to an interpreter too. And there's extra passion if you can picture this, this story. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We're all one man's son. We're honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, As I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain from, for the famine of your houses. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so, and then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Now, First of all, we just need to know, Joseph's not being vindictive here. He's actually the vessel by which the Lord is going to restore these guys to the Lord and save the family. We know that. In Genesis 50, he's going to say, you guys meant for evil, but God meant it for good for the saving of many lives. This is not about vindictiveness. He's actually doing them a favor. Kind of like when your parents do you a favor and you don't think they are doing you a favor. Like, or the pastor or someone you look up to or someone. Like, there are people that have to do hard things sometimes to help you become the best you in the Lord. So nines, well, the Bible says faithful the wounds of a friend and deceitful the kisses of an enemy. And sometimes hard things need to be said or done in the best interest of the people that are in the stewardship that you're called to minister to and help and lead. Again, it's not entitlement or enablement, but it's equipping. 
and it's helping people move toward the things of the kingdom. And by the way, you should know this. Nobody can make someone else have faith. So it can be very frustrating in ministry because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're the pastor and someone wants all the help in the world, if they're not willing to put their faith in Jesus Christ, how in the world are you going to help them? I'm not a professional counselor. And even if you had a professional counselor, what can they do? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't believe Jesus can heal your problems, solve your issues, take you forward and lead you personally and powerfully into all that he has for you, what in the world could anyone on planet Earth do for you? He's the name of all names. But sometimes God uses godly people, godly men and women, to help people and have to confront things and deal with things to steer them toward what's in their best interest. And that's what you have going on here with Joseph. Think about Joseph. He spent years in prison for being falsely accused of attempted rape. As a young man walking in purity, like you talk about injustice, that is top of the list. Such a rare human being. And to be attacked and lied about and slandered about. He is in prison. A convicted felon for attempted rape. That is such a serious charge in any society at any time. So when he tells his brothers, you're spies. It's like, you know, on one hand, you want to be like, oh, man, he's just like kind of grinding him a little bit. Like, oh, you're spies. But he immediately remembered the dream. We saw that he remembered the dream. So he knew that God's in this because God gave him the dream. And now he's seen it fulfilled as they bow down to him. He's like, I'm sure that he was led by the Lord to have a word of wisdom here. And we know that it all produced the result we would want from this story of reconciliation, restoration, which is what the Lord does by his spirit. So it's moving in that direction. He says, you're spies. And he sets up this scenario by which they'll be able to be healed, all of them, from their sins and their deception in their lives of 20 years to their father. He's actually doing them a favor, and he's putting things in motion to bring this about. But he's not putting all the cards on the table, is he? He is their brother. And one is dead. Can you imagine what he's thinking when they're saying, and one is dead? But notice what the brothers say there in verse 20, 21. They look at each other and they said, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of soul. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Yeah, no one gets away with anything. And our conscience will condemn us and hold us accountable. And we see that here. Our conscience. Now, the Bible talks about a seared conscience, which is really scary. The only thing worse than your conscience condemning you is your conscience not condemning you. Because that's the worst place you could ever be in the human experience. I've said this before, but growing up when I watch all the police shows like Adam 12 the FBI with Joe Friday, all those shows from the 60s and 70s that baby boomers watched, they always get the bad guys. I really believe they always got the bad guys. It wasn't until I was like uh, 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 in like puberty that I realized that people actually get away with crimes. I always remember a brother telling me, no, people, I was like, they always get caught. He's like, they don't always get caught. People get away with stuff all the time. I'm like, no, like Joe Friday, one Adam 12, Perry Mason, they, they get them. My brother's like, what world are you living in? My older brother, I was like, but then when I sinned and I did evil, I didn't get away with it. Even if I seemed like I got away with it, I didn't really get away with it. Because my conscience and being a good Catholic, man, I'd sit in bed and I'd just think, when's God going to bring the hammer for what I just did? 
Like I knew there was, I knew no one's getting away with anything. For 20 years, these guys, their conscience, and on this day, they're like, oh. And you know, there's a healing element when God releases us from that guilt. Guilt is a very powerful force in the human experience. And the only way for guilt to really be released is to have it confessed before the Lord or made right with the Lord. And when we can be reconciled with people, that we can be reconciled with people that we've wronged. When Timmy was naughty, of all of our four kids, you know, they always laugh about who, who got spanked the most. Hands down, Timmy. Timmy got it more than all the other three put together. He just different discipline for different kids for whatever reason. But Timmy, you could just know when he needed to be disciplined because his conscience was working against him and he couldn't go forward without being corrected and having that restoration to be healed and then he could go forward. So naughty Timmy, needed, he, he wanted to be disciplined and he wanted to have it brought out to be corrected so he could be healed and go forward and be back to happy little Timmy before he did something naughty again next week. We want to thank the Lord that he convicts us of our sin. We want to thank the Lord that he disciplines us for our sins, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And we want to thank the Lord that we're not going to walk around with a, a seared conscience. These poor guys, they just knew it like, they just knew it was coming. They just knew it was coming. They just knew it was coming, and it was. We pick it up in verse 25. And of course, really quick, Joseph wept for them. Joseph's going to weep a fair bit down the stretch here. And here we see him weeping for his brothers, weeping because he sees the effect of their sins and the heartache it's caused them in their lives. That's how we should weep. But he's weeping for others who, who in theory, ruined his life, but actually put him in the direction of God's plans and purposes, which is what faith would tell us. But he's weeping for them because he sees how destructive one day's sin against him has affected their entire lives, and he's weeping for them. He's weeping for them. When we see people we love and care about wrecking their lives and facing the consequences of their sins, we, we should weep. That's a good tear, by the way, when you can cry for other people. When you have empathy and compassion and you see someone r- r- raging at you or something and you look at them and you can see past that and you can really see like, man, there's a beautiful person that was lost here. There's a person Christ died for here. And that's, that's the heart of the Lord. That's how we want to be. And that's how Joseph is. He's weeping for them. It's like Jesus on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. He forgave them from the cross. Verse 25, we read on. Then Joseph gave command to fill the sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack, to give his donkey feed at the encampment. He saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. And then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, this is, the man is Joseph. Just keep that in mind every time you see the phrase, the man. He's like, the man. Or He's the man, like he's that man, like that, that man. The man who accuses of spying. The man is their brother. The man is Jacob's son that he loves. The man, verse 29, verse 30, who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father. 
this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was his sack. And when they and, when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. And then Reuben spoke to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. But he, Jacob, said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Well, here it is. Reuben, by the way, is mentioned in verse 22 as saying, didn't I tell you guys? Because he's the one that didn't want to sell him into slavery. And then Reuben is verse 37 saying, you can kill my two sons. Reuben is stepping up. He's stepping up right here. He's, He's willing to give up his sons in a sense, I'm sure feeling guilt for what happened with Joseph, but willing to forsake all the joy of his life as a parent to put his dad at ease. These are heavy. Do you realize how heavy these topics are? Like these, are, you know, you can read through this like, oh, it's a kid's story in your children's Bible. No, it's not. This is really, he- well, it is, but this is really heavy family stuff. This stuff's heavy. There's so many families with adults and parents that don't talk to each other. They're estranged from each other. They can't go to a wedding together. They can't go to a funeral together. This is heavy stuff. These are the things that divide people. And Reuben is stepping up. Good for Reuben. He is the firstborn. It's nice to see it happen. Son of Leah, Reuben, stepping up. Now, Here's where the fear of the faith comes into play. Because this is where Jacob, remember, it's referring to Jacob in his name prior to when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, before wrestling with the Lord. His name was Jacob, which means heel grabber, because he grabbed Esau's heel, born as a twin, coming out of the womb. And Esau said it best. Is he not rightly called Jacob? Because he supplanted me these two times. His earthly name was a perfect fit for who he was. Heel grabber, always a plan, supplanting. But when that night, years before, when he wrestled with God and God released him with the blessings, he gave him a new name. He said, from now on, your name is Israel, for you will be governed by God or you will be prince of God. So either a heel grabber, a taker, or you're governed by the Lord and you're prince of God, a giver. You're either in fear taking or you're in faith trusting and serving. Jacob. Israel. It's like we read in the Bible, if anyone be in Christ, a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things are new. We must be born again, Jesus said. Old Nicodemus can't get to heaven, but Nicodemus with faith in Jesus Christ, John 3, can be saved through the Son. For the Father sent the Son to save. Not that we'd perish, but to have everlasting life. That's the word to Nicodemus. John's Gospel said, as many as born of the, of the flesh are of the flesh. But those who receive Christ are born of the Spirit. Not born of blood of the flesh, but born of God. There has to be a transforming work by the Holy Spirit for us to be going to heaven, for anything good to come of our life. 
you are you the way God made you, but now you're restored to the fallen, to be what was fallen and lost in the garden. And you become the best version of Eve that you can be in the power of the Holy Spirit or the best version of Adam you can be. And as it says in 2 Corinthians, we're being transformed from glory to glory. So we're moving toward, back toward that glory. It's all restoration. It's all revival. It's all renewal. It's what God does. But on this side of it, this side of this story tonight in 42, it's Jacob with his worst fears. What if? Well, what if what? And even now I look out of this room and I know many of your stories and what you've been through and the things you've lived through. Injustices, heartache, divorce, death, death of children, death of loved ones, death of spouses, betrayal in estates and trusts, children you don't get to raise because someone lied about you and you don't get to see them. And so I said Saturday night, what if, what if your first child dies and you hold your dead son in your arms? What if your wife does not get healed from cancer and she's gone? What if your husband suddenly killed in a car accident and he's gone? What if she doesn't want to work it out and be reconciled? What if he doesn't want to work it out and be reconciled? What if you get fired? What if you're falsely accused when you're fired? What if you can't get another job? What if you lose the house? What if you lose the farm? What if we all get coronavirus and die and become zombies? Right? I mean, you just go on. What if, what if, what if? It's fascinating at the time of war and peace, when Napoleon was invading Russia, it was Halley's Comet, and it was a sign, and many people who confessed Christ believed it was the end of the world, it was a sign of the apocalypse, which just shows we're always thinking it's the end of the world. So what if? What if the scary comet goes by and it's an omen? What if in 1917, when the Jehovah's Witnesses under John Charles Russell and so much of the world believed it was the second coming of the Lord, because no one ever seen a war like World War I, and that's why it's called the Great War. Because we've never seen such whole-scale slaughter. And all these aboriginal groups birthed out of that timeline as apocalyptic end-of-the-world groups. And all their prophecies didn't come to pass because we're still here in 2020. What if? What if you go into shock because someone took their life and you're the first one on the scene? How do people face these things without Jesus Christ, by the way? I just don't know how people face this stuff without Jesus Christ. I have faced the heaviest, heaviest things imaginable in the human experience. And I just don't know how they do it. I'm just so glad that I do it with Jesus Christ. And I'm certainly hoping and praying that you'll face all these things of the what ifs with Jesus Christ. But let's establish right here and now, at this moment, there's a lot of what ifs. And fear of the unknown is so gripping and so powerful, it cripples us. And it's been said that 90% of what you fear never comes to pass anyways. What if? You know, fear's big business, of course. Pastor Chuck used to always say, you know, those fellas that scare me and then sell me what's going to make me feel better about not being scared, right? You know, there's big money in scaring people. Fear sells, as does faith, Right? Why do strange people that teach strange things but still teach a, a measure of truth in the gospel, how is it that people go places like that and get healed by those people? Because the people getting healed have faith in Jesus Christ. And they believe. And whether they're touching Paul's apron or part of something where this person's doctrine's off, but they're still preaching Jesus, God knows. Doesn't take away from their faith. What if? What if? We need to submit and surrender every what if. What if they laugh? 
What if you're a laughing stock? What if they never listen to you, Jeremiah? What if you tell them don't go to Egypt and they go to Egypt anyways? What if they say they're going to do whatever the Lord says to do, and then you know when you tell them they're not going to do it, and they're going to go to Egypt, and we're all going to get plundered anyways? What if? I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. This what if? What if something happens to him? He'll grab her. He's holding on to his fears. Because he's been hurt. He's suffered tragedy. He's had heartache. He's been betrayed. His father-in-law betrayed him multiple times in business. His in-laws gave him the evil eye before he left Adam Aram. His brother was going to kill him. The Shechemites were going to kill him when his sons wiped out the village for raping his daughter. What if my daughter gets raped? She did get raped. Jacob has a history of what ifs that would cause fear and unbelief. And yet, it's a new day with Jesus. And Jacob's got to realize his name is not heel grabber with fear. He's got to realize his name is Israel, Prince of God with faith. WG, we got to put every what if at the foot of the cross. Chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father, Jacob, said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. But Judah, again, another one of the sons of Leah, spoke to him, saying, The man, that's Joseph, solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, wait a second, look at this, verse 6. You catch that? He's functioning his new name right here. That's the Holy Spirit. That's really important. The flesh and the spirit, they do war against each other. And they're contrary to each other. The Holy Spirit preserved thousands of years ago in the original language. That in this text of chapter 42, Jacob would go by his old name, Jacob, when he's moved and crippled by fear. But in chapter 43, where God's going to move him to have to live by faith, he goes by the new name, governed by God, Prince of God, Jacob, Israel. Verse 6, And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. And could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me. We'll arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take a double, take double money in your hands and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So awesome. 
So awesome, this text. Well, Saturday night we looked at this, and I just touched on it briefly. When you're living in fear, you just, it's, it's all against you. Why do all these things happen to me? Well, why does this always happen to me? We, we can't think like that. Things happen to everybody. You're not the only person that has a difficult time at the DMV, right? Why do they, you know, how do they lose me in the, in the, it's like, you think that only happens to you? It should be my favorite saying, why do these things always happen to us? We buy the only car seat in Walmart that doesn't have the buckle in it, right? <laughs> no, it happens, these things happen to everybody. You got to get past poor me. Why do they, well, all these things, you know, oh, and then you blame everybody. You bereave me. And then you look there in verse 6. Why did you deal wrongfully with me like, like they purposely in this situation? But again, it's a carryover of what they already did in deceiving their dad. But if you want to blame other people for what's wrong in your life and not living by faith, that's a really bad thing to do. No good thing will come from it. If you get fired, it's from the Lord. And seek the Lord for what comes next. It's not about who fired you or who lied about you or who, if you deserve to be fired. I've been fired. I've got, I deserve to be fired. I, man, I, I can tell you, I, you know, I was supposed to be doing this and I was doing that. I was supposed to be commentating the surf contest. The surf was pumping. I went down the beach with the photographers and the team. We did all this stuff. This is back in the 90s. And uh, my boss was really mad. I wasn't paid to be surfing. I was paid to be commentating those who were surfing. And, you know, it's like, you know, he gave it to me and I deserved it. And he was very gracious and that was the end of that. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, but it's from the Lord. It was from the Lord. Which is what he comes to. It can't be about these people did that and those people did that and you bereave me. And why have you done wrong for me? It's like, you know what? If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. God Almighty's got this. And we got to trust in God Almighty. Notice, he's going by the name Israel, Prince of God. And now he's saying El Shaddai, God Almighty. And he's the one that calls God, God Almighty in earlier chapters. When he settles in there, he says, God Almighty, the God of Israel. God Almighty, the God of Israel, my God. And here he says, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. But God Almighty go before you, before the man. Now, this just shows how God's working on so much more than we think. How could he know the man's his son? How could he know this massive tapestry of eternal power and origin and purpose where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more? How can we understand these things? They're very difficult to understand. But the story's not done yet. In your life or in his life. Everything in time is to prepare us for eternity. And all the steps of faith, all the refinement of character, all the surrendering of fear and moving toward faith, they all serve a purpose to transform us from glory to glory, to be more efficient in time, but most importantly, be ready for what's entrusted to us in eternity. It's one and done. Life is one and done. And that's it. So we want to get it. We want to be like, you guys bereave me, and why did you do this and deal wrong for me? It's like, you know what? That's 20 years ago. If you use the timeline, in 2000, they deceived their father. It's 2020. God's fixing it. What was wrecked in your life 20 years ago, and what's God trying to fix right now? And how much more is he doing than you and I think we know what he's doing? 
It's so much more than we know in the lives of our kids and our grandkids and our parents, if they're alive, and our adult siblings and the co-workers and people we used to work for, people we currently work for, and people we're going to work for in the future. It's always so much more of a tapestry than we know when we have faith. It always is anyways, but we want to have faith and let God show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him as he's working in their lives. Man, the best thing you do is like, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. God, we are in your hands. We are in your hands. If, if we get the job, we get the job. If we get in the college, we get in the college. There are flashpoints of life where it's just like, you know what? There's nothing I can do. We're in your hands, Lord. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Your worst fear, if it comes to pass, God's bigger than your worst fear. We often say God, Jesus Christ is higher than your greatest victory, and he's lower than your greatest heartache. Psalm 139. Like, where can you go that he doesn't go lower? And where can you go higher? He doesn't go higher. You go to the left, he goes to the left. You go to the right, he goes to the right. There's another with me in the fire. There's another in the fire. That's why we sing that song with passion. Because most of the time we're in the fire. Because he's refining us by fire to get us who he wants us to be. That's why there has to be another in the fire. But he's with us. He went from what if to what is. What is is that God Almighty is over everything. And we're trusting in his mercy. May he give you mercy. Which is ironic because the man is Joseph. And who is more merciful in the Bible apart from God himself than Joseph? The mercy Joseph showed his brothers. Jacob is appealing that this man who is his son would be merciful to the brothers. Which is exactly what's happening. So the men took the present, that present, and Benjamin, and they took double the money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt. And they stood before Joseph, and when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men. will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money with which we return in our sacks the first time that we were brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves with our donkeys." You know, we're told in the Bible that the wicked flee when no one pursues them. It's just all these guys can think is worst case scenario. Like they just know they deserve it. <laughs> Whatever happens. And it's just so much better to repent and be right with the Lord than to like be like this. This is a terrible place to be. Verse 19. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. And he said, well, sir, we indeed... Came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we brought it back in our hand, and we brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he, the servant, said, Peace be with you, and do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. What a day. So now, these are the, the, the 12 sons of Israel. They're the, they're the kids of promise. All the promises of God are yes and amen in them. Israel's entrusted with the scriptures. They're the Messiah's going to come to the tribe of Judah. It's like, oh my goodness. And here's this Egyptian going, hey, it's all good. Your God, the God of your father, has done good for you. It's always interesting when God pronounces blessings on us from a random place, isn't it? Or an unlikely source. I don't think these guys saw this coming at all. Peace be with you. 
do not be afraid, which is exactly what they are. I put the money there. And they brought out Simeon. So here's their brother Simeon restored to him. Again, one of the sons of Leah. Verse 24. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph coming at noon. For they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came out and they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house. And bowed before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, through Rachel. Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went to his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face, came out and restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So we see Joseph crying again. Now we do know the brother said in the previous chapter, remember he was crying out in anguish when we sold him to slavery. So those are tears they would have seen. But these are private tears. We saw him crying privately with heartbreak for the consequences of the brothers' sins upon their lives and where they were at because of their sins 20 years later. And now we see him crying over his brother Benjamin. So this can't be because of the sins of the brothers because Benjamin wasn't one of the brothers that betrayed him. This is his brother. You know, he was ripped off for 20 years of life with his younger brother. He didn't get to go see him play freshman football. He didn't get to see him swim on the swim team his junior year. He didn't get to see him and, you know, graduate high school. Didn't get to visit him at working his first job at Subway down there on PCH by the pier. He didn't get to see baby brother do any of those things. He didn't get to see baby brother pack up the car and go away to college in Arizona or Nevada or something. He didn't get any of it. It was all taken from him. It was taken from him by his other brothers. That hurts. In fact, I almost want to cry. Because the brother's sins that he wept for, their sin cost him 20 years with this brother, this relationship ordained by God that he was robbed of for 20 years. And now he's crying for a totally different reason. He's crying because it hurts. Because when people do evil things and malicious things, it hurts. It hurts you and has far-reaching effects. Them selling Joseph into slavery and all that Joseph went through and all Potiphar's wife's false accusations and serving in the prison, all these things, but you can't get back those 20 years with your brother. They were taken from you. But even in this, Joseph had grace and mercy and empathy and was able to forgive his other brothers. So perhaps he's weeping for what was lost. Perhaps he's weeping for what's restored because there's nothing more beautiful than when something's restored, right? It's so beautiful when something's lost is restored. And God says he'll restore that which has been lost. When they find the lost coin in the parable, Luke 16, there's joy. The lost sheep, one of a hundred, there's joy. When the prodigal son comes home, there's joy. 
What's lost is restored. There's joy. And God is a God of restoration. These tears are very different than the tears in the previous chapter. But they tell us Joseph was a real person. And they show us that he's a sensitive person. He's a compassionate person. And he's a real person. And, you know, we hurt. Things hurt. People hurt us. And things affected by hurt hurt us. And God's made us with emotion. And it's part of the journey. He wept privately for the second time. We're meant to weep. You know, God's designed us to cry. What's the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Right. Jesus wept. Where? At a funeral. Well, at the graveside. Jesus wept. We're human. To be human is to be created in glory and have fallen from it because of the sin of our father, Adam. What are you going to do? He's the God of restoration. That's what he does. He restores. And we want to receive that restoration and go forward in that restoration. We want to go forward in that. And it's all we can do. This, this, I mean, to me, this verse, verse, 30, verse 30 is like, wow. What can you do? He wept. God sees our tears. And he knows when you're weeping. You know, David said in Psalm 5, Psalm 5 or 4, where he, he, he soaked his couch with his tears because of the human experiences that he went through. God knows. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took a serving to them before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. This is, this is almost like a, this is almost comical right here. You know, when you feel like you just dodged a bullet, right? Wow, man, that was so close. Woo, everything's good, but isn't it weird? We're all in order based upon our age. Like, oh, that's kind of odd. But they're drinking wine, right? So it's, like, it's all good, man. It's like, hey, the man, the man, the man, you know, the man's good. <laughs> Eating bread, look, there's the man. Everyone thinks, hey, Simeon, hey, Simeon, how you doing, man? There's the man. He's happy. He's eating. He's not eating with us because, you know, but there's the man. It's all good. It says they're merry. Like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, they got a shocker coming. <laughs> Everything's okay. We got away with this. Wow. Woo. Man, that was close. Woo, that was a close one. Not quite done yet. Next week, God's going God's gonna to like, ooh, man, it's coming. It's, a, it's actually a comical. And they're, they're merry, you know. Uh, but aren't you glad that God just let them go to a lunchtime buffet drinking wine and just End the story right there. Wouldn't it be sad if Genesis ends on chapter 43, verse 34, and they were eating at the table, drinking, and they were merry? No. Let Hollywood have that ending. Or some politician, man. The kingdom ending's way better than this one, right? It's got to be way better than this. <laughs> it's like, oh. Aren't you glad God looks out for us and does what's in our best interest, even when we may not agree with it? I'm so glad he does. God is good. All these moving parts, Judah, Simeon, Reuben, Joseph, Jacob, the brothers, even Joseph's right-hand man, they're all, it's a human adventure. That was theirs, this is ours. So let us apply what God has shown us from it tonight.